We speak the name of Jesus and we are getting back today to walking with Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. And I hope if you have a Bible today, you'll go ahead and turn there. I have missed walking with you alongside Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew for the last four or five weeks. It was good and necessary what we did there for a time, but I am thankful that we're back today in step with him verse by verse in Matthew chapter 12 today. And let me just kind of set the scene for you, okay? Matthew 12 is a very pivotal place in Matthew's gospel. When we get to Matthew chapter 12, the religious leaders have had enough of Jesus. They're done with him. They are sick and tired of his teaching. They are sick and tired of his mercy, his compassion. They're sick and tired of his miracles. They're sick and tired of his power being displayed. And it's in Matthew chapter 12 that they are finally and decisively going to reject Jesus and the kingdom that he is offering them. Why are they doing that? Because he's messing up their apple cart. He's a threat to their control. He is a threat to their world. He's a threat to their dominance. They liked their ecosystem the way it was before Jesus showed up. So in chapter 12 today in Matthew, you're gonna see this. They're gonna make their final and ultimate decision that they will do whatever they gotta do to rid Jesus from the planet, to get him out of the equation so he's no longer a threat to them. They're rejecting him today. They're rejecting him as Messiah. They're rejecting him as king. They're rejecting the kingdom that he has been proclaiming. Then, I wanna go ahead and tell you this because this is where you and I come in the story. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus starts to allude to a great gathering of people outside of the nation of Israel that he's gonna bring into a relationship with himself. Jesus is going to offer himself as king and he's gonna offer his kingdom to the nations of the earth. And we know this great gathering in of the nations of the earth to Jesus as the church, as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ. And that's me and you. For a time, Jesus will turn his attention away from Israel after this rejection in Matthew chapter 12. But I believe there's seven years coming, not too far away from now, when Jesus is gonna turn his attention back to the nation of Israel. He's gonna offer himself again as king to them and offer his kingdom to them again. And I just wanna set that stage because I want you to know this is where we are in the gospel of Matthew. Sometimes you say, hey, I wish I lived in Bible times. You do, dummy. You live in Bible times. We're all living in Bible times. In Matthew, I'm sorry I called you dummy, but Matthew 12 and 13, we're in it, man. And I just want you to see that. And that's really exciting to me. So chapter 12 opens up today with these religious leaders who are bent, bound, and determined now, we gotta do whatever it takes to discredit Jesus. We gotta do whatever we gotta do to destroy him, destroy his ministry here among the people. So they're going after him full throttle. And all of this is gonna revolve around this thing called the Sabbath. Their final decision to do away with Jesus revolves around what Jesus does with this one day of the week called the Sabbath, which is ironic because Jesus created the Sabbath. He made it. It's his invention. It's his idea. He designed it. He will call himself later in these verses today, the Lord of the Sabbath. This is his day. 
But the religious leaders have taken that day and they've hijacked it. They've twisted it. They've distorted it. They've ruined it. They've turned it into something that Jesus never intended for it to be. For, for them, the Sabbath was the, the epicenter. It was the hub of all of their religion, of all of their system, of all of their, their rules. And they wanted to protect the Sabbath from being violated by anybody. So, so what God said was this about the Sabbath, but then what they did is they built a system of rules and laws all around it because they didn't want anybody to even get close to violating the Sabbath. Now, these rules weren't from God. These were man-made rules. They just pulled out of thin air and they had hundreds of them and they had thousands of them. And, and, and most of them were ridiculous. I'll give you just a quick sampling. For example, one of the rules they had, you on the Sabbath could not walk more than 3,000 steps from your home. But there's always a loophole with these things. But if on the day before the Sabbath, you place some food at that 3,000th step. So on the Sabbath, you could walk 3,000 steps, get to that food. Now that becomes your, your home. So now you get to hit reset and now you get to go another 3,000 steps. See how the, the game gets played there. You couldn't carry anything on the Sabbath that weighed more than a dried fig. So that was always on your mind, what I'm picking up, what I'm carrying. If you threw, here's true. If you threw an object up in the air and you caught it with the same hand, you're good. You didn't break a rule. But if you threw the same object up in the air, but you caught it with the other hand, you just worked. You just violated the Sabbath. If you were a tailor, you weren't allowed to carry a needle because you might be tempted to sin by sewing. If you were a scribe, you weren't allowed to carry a pen because you might be tempted to write, which would be breaking one of their rules about the Sabbath. You could not even light a candle. You couldn't start a fire. Even today, Orthodox Jewish people have timers on their switches and on their lights so they don't flip a switch on the Sabbath. If you've been to Israel, you might have come across the Shabbat elevators. Those are the elevators that on the Sabbath because they would be violating their rules by pushing a button and causing electricity to circuit. Randy, you just came back. You see a Shabbat elevator there. If you get on the Shabbat elevator, man, you're in trouble if you're way up in that hotel because it's gonna stop at every single floor. It's pre-programmed to do that so nobody breaks the rules of the Sabbath. You couldn't even drag a chair across the ground because you might create a furrow in the ground and that would be considered plowing. And the rules just go on and on. You know what the Sabbath had become in Jesus's day? A pain in the neck. It had become this massive burden on the backs of the people. The Sabbath had become the most exhausting day of their week. They had to work harder on that day than they worked on all the other days. Religion's awesome, isn't it? So what was the Sabbath supposed to be? Well, the word Sabbath or Shabbat means to rest or to cease from work. We see Jesus laying the foundation for what it is back in Genesis chapter two when Jesus has finished creating everything in the world. Now, if that sounds weird to you that I'm saying Jesus created everything, he did I'm not making that up. The Bible says that. John 1 says Jesus made everything. 
Hebrews 1 says Jesus made everything. Colossians 1 says Jesus made everything. So when we get to Genesis chapter 2, Jesus has just finished making everything, and this is what he does. Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. Check it out. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all of his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all of his work of creation. I want you to see this. Jesus didn't stop and rest because he was tired. He stopped working because he was finished. He had finished the work. He did the same thing when he died on the cross for your sin and mine. For 33 and a half years, he labored in this world to be our sinless sacrifice that would substitute himself in our place at the cross. For six hours, he labored on the cross, dying in your place and in mine. And with his last breath, what did he say? He said, to tell us die, it is finished. They buried him, he rose on the third day, he ascended into heaven, and then he sat down at God's right hand, a place of rest. Why, was he tired? No, he was finished. He had done the work. I'm telling that to you today because I want you to be reminded he doesn't get tired ever. The Bible says he does not sleep nor does he slumber. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't get weary. He doesn't take off days. He doesn't have recovery days. He's not like, man, I really gave it a lot yesterday. I'm gonna hold back a little bit today. No, the Bible says he is the same yesterday as he is today as he is tomorrow. He is so good. From that seventh day of creation now, when God finished his work until about 2,500 years later, there, there was really no mention of the Sabbath uh, until Moses and the Israelites are out in the wilderness and God gives Moses the 10 commandments on those tablets. And this, this is in Exodus chapter 20. I'll turn your attention there. Exodus 20 verse eight. It says, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord, see that grace life, Yahweh, made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. And that is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So listen, the, the law and the Ten Commandments uh, uh, about the Sabbath, that's the only one that's not a moral law. The other nine are all moral laws, meaning they're absolute. They're the same for all people, all places, all times. But the commandment here about the Sabbath is considered more of a ceremonial law. It was a law that God gave to Israel. It was specific to them. The reason we know that, there's a number of reasons we know that, but one of the reasons we know that is because all nine of the other commandments are repeated in the New Testament, but the law about keeping the Sabbath is not repeated in the New Testament. The Sabbath law doesn't get repeated because it's more of a covenantal sign between God and his people, kind of like circumcision is. So during the earthly ministry of Jesus, they're still under the old covenant. You and I in Christ, we're not under the old covenant anymore. We're under in the new covenant. But at the time we're here in Matthew 12, Jesus and his disciples are under the old covenant and God's law about the Sabbath is still in effect. So in Matthew 12, Jesus is keeping the Sabbath laws and he's guiding his disciples to keep the Sabbath laws as God had commanded, not as men had made up the rules, right? This is where Jesus gets in trouble with these religious leaders because he is not playing their games. 
He's not into that. The religious leaders had added so many ridiculous things to what this day is about. It, it, it was intended to be a day of rest, but they've turned it into this burden, a, a day that was more laborious than the other six. It was the biggest burden the people had to carry. Listen, that might help you understand. I know you probably don't remember, but before we took our break, last Sunday of, July, last Sunday of June, we were in Matthew chapter 11. And we left with these words. And there's a reason those words come before what we're reading today in Matthew chapter 12. I'm gonna go back and read those and see if they hit you a little different today with what I just told you about what the religious leaders had done with the Sabbath. Matthew eleven twenty eight says this. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Let this rabbi teach you. I know you've been learning from these guys, but let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. I just wanna tell you, I have missed walking with Jesus in Matthew 12 with you. Verse 30, for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden that I give you is light. That contrast is obvious, right? The other rabbis would load you down with rules, with burdens, with restrictions. And Jesus says, hey, if you're carrying a heavy burden, if somebody has handed you a big list of rules you gotta keep to earn the love of God, bring that to me. I'll take that. And I'll teach you a better way. And the religious leaders They found that from Jesus to be offensive. They found it to be subversive. And they're not gonna have that. So they're coming after Jesus. They're coming after his disciples. Who is he to say these things, to do these things? Well, he's he's the Lord of the Sabbath. It's his day. It belongs to him. He invented it. And he's paying no attention to all those ridiculous rules. So let's go, Matthew chapter 12, here we go. At that time, Jesus passed through the grain fields on the Sabbath, probably walking more than 3,000 steps. Right? And his disciples were hungry. And they began to pick and eat some heads of grain. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, see, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Well, first of all, know this, they're not stealing from the owners of these grain fields. God is so kind and compassionate that even in the Old Testament, God had provided laws for the people that said, if you're traveling, you're passing through and you need something to eat, people are to leave enough in their fields so that you can get something to eat, to provide for yourself. This was long before they had invented buckies. all right? That wasn't an option. There wasn't a whole lot of options on the roads in those days. So the disciples, they're not doing anything wrong here according to God's word, according to God's law, but they are violating at least four man-made rules that the religious leaders had made up. God had intended this day to be a day of rest, to be a day of blessing to the people, but they've turned it into a burden, and now they've accused the disciples of being in violation of the Sabbath. And then the Lord of the Sabbath himself speaks up. I mean, this is not the place or the time where you would want to be making accusations about the Sabbath because the creator, the architect, the designer of it is standing right there with you. And Jesus speaks up, verse three. He said to them, 
Haven't you read? I love that. Oh, I love this. Jesus is in rare form in Matthew 12. He says, haven't you read? This is like he looks at the religious folks and go, hey, don't y'all have a Bible? I mean, this is what he's saying. Haven't you read what David did when he and those who were with him were hungry? How he entered the house of God and they ate the bread of the presence or the showbread, which is not lawful for him. That was against the rules. And for those who with him to eat, but only for the priest, only the priest could eat. Here, here's what Jesus is doing. He's reminding them of their great King David, reminding them of a historical time in David's life that's in the Old Testament where David has been anointed to be the next king over Israel. Saul hates him, the, the current king, right? He's, he's trying to kill him and he's chasing him. David and his men are on the run. They're hungry. They get to the house of God. They ask the priest, do you have any food? And the priest says, the only food we have is the bread of the presence. These were 12 loaves of bread that they would place in there in the house of God on every Sabbath. They would sit there for a week to symbolize, those 12 loaves symbolize that God provided for the every need that the 12 tribes of Israel had as they wandered through the wilderness. And God had instructed the people in the Old Testament, the only person who's allowed to eat this sacred bread is the priest. At the end of those seven days, he eats that bread, the priest, the rest of the priests eat that bread, and then they replace it with more bread. But here comes David and his guys, and the priest says, hey, we don't have anything here to eat but the bread of the presence. But you can eat this. He gave it to David and to his men because it was the only food available. And they weren't condemned for that. And Jesus' point is this. God's idea about the Sabbath was that there would never be anything about the Sabbath that would trump human needs. That human needs or needs of necessity are near and dear to the heart of God. God's law about the showbread was important. But Jesus is saying the needs of human beings in that moment were more important than that bread that sat there. That's the kindness of our God. That's how good he is. That's how compassionate he is. As important as his ceremonial laws are, he will override them to meet the need of a human being. And this stands in great contrast to the religious leaders of that day who on the Sabbath, they would not lift a finger to meet a need in anybody else's life. You see, this is the heart of the Sabbath. This is why Jesus created it. It it was a day that we would stop doing what we normally do, that we would rest, but we wouldn't rest from looking to meet the needs of our fellow man. That's Jesus's first argument. Then he gives them another one. Look at verse five. He says, or haven't you read? Don't you have a Bible? Where you guys been? Haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath days, the priests in the temple violate the Sabbath. They violate it. The priests every Sabbath are violating the Sabbath and they're innocent. Now, why does Jesus say that? He's saying that because the priests are working on the Sabbath. There's this list of things they're not supposed to do, but they're, they're, they're still offering sacrifices. They're still lighting fires. They're still slaughtering animals. They're picking carcasses up that weigh more than a a dried fig. But he says they're innocent. Why? Because they're serving God. They're serving God. Just as human needs trump religious regulations, so does serving God. And again, serving God is not what was on the hearts of the religious leaders. Meeting human needs, that wasn't on their radar. Uh Uh-uh. 
keeping the rules was their heart, right? Serving God, that wasn't what their hearts were bent toward. They were bent toward just merely keeping the rules. And if Jesus's first two arguments aren't enough to shake the Pharisees up, he then says this in verse six, watch this. He says, I tell you that, and by the way, if Jesus says, I tell you, buckle up, man. I mean, buckle, slap up. I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. Well, that may not hit you hard, but it hit them hard. And I'll tell you why. Because to them, there was nothing greater than the temple. There was nothing of more significance or more important than the temple. But Jesus just said, hey, fellas, right now, right beside this grain field, there is something that is more important than that temple over there. Out here on this desolate highway in the country, I'm telling you, something more significant, more important, more valuable than the temple is right here. What's Jesus talking about? He's talking about himself. Listen, the temple was just a shadow that pointed to Jesus. The temple wasn't about the temple. The temple was pointing us to Jesus. The Sabbath, it wasn't about the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a shadow that points us to Jesus. And Jesus is going, hey, these are all shadows. You're missing it, fellas. The real deal is here. Everything the Sabbath is about is right in front of you. Everything that the temple is about is right here in front of you. And I'm sure their blood is boiling now because of what he said, and he's not letting up. Verse seven, he says, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He just quoted Habakkuk. So if you're keeping score, he pulled out King David on them, he pulled out the temple on them, and he pulled out their prophets on them. And he said, if you'd known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. In other words, Jesus just looked at the religious leaders and he goes, guys, you don't get it. You're not even close. You're not even in the ballpark. You've missed the whole thing. And here you are, condemning innocent people. And he comes at them again, verse eight. I've missed walking with Jesus with you. I'm so glad we're back, aren't you? All right, if you're not, man, I can't help you because I'm fired up, all right? If you want to keep up with me, that's on you, but I'm fired up, verse eight. Jesus says, for the son of man, is Lord of the Sabbath. He just called himself son of man. He loves to call him that. That's his favorite thing to call himself. It means I'm God and I'm man. And it means I'm the king of the universe. There's none like me. And he said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, Jesus just looked at these guys and he said, I am the Messiah. The Sabbath is mine. Back off. Back off. The Pharisees don't get it. If there was ever a day of the week that was about meeting a person's need, it's that day. If there was ever a day about showing mercy to somebody, it's that day. If there was ever a day about serving God, it's that day. Why? Because God gave Israel the Sabbath as an act of mercy, didn't he? It was merciful to them that God gave them that day. It met a need that they had, but they flipped it upside down. And then Jesus, he's got them on the ropes and he's about to finish it. 
but he's not gonna finish it with another argument. He's gonna finish it with a demonstration. It's the Sabbath, and he's probably already passed his 3,000 steps, so he's gonna keep going. And he walks straight toward the synagogue, to the church, right? Verse nine says, moving on from there, he entered their synagogue, and there he saw a man who had a shriveled hand. And in order to accuse him, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Mark and Luke tell us that these religious leaders actually placed that man right there, front and center in the church. It was to trap Jesus. So they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he replied to them, watch this. Who among you, if he had a sheep that fell into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't take hold of it? and lift it out. A person is worth far more than a sheep. So it is lawful to do what is good on the Sabbath. See, Jesus knew good and well, you guys, if you had a sheep that fell into a pit, his life is in danger, and it's on the Sabbath, I know what you do, because I've seen you do it, because that's money in the pit. You'd get it, you'd lift it up. And Jesus says, if you'd do that for a sheep, why wouldn't you do that for a person? Because isn't a person far more valuable than a sheep? Because people are made in the image of God. The most precious and most valuable thing on planet earth is a human being. Every person made in God's image, valuable to God. The ones you love and the ones you don't love, equally important to God, equally valuable to God. And here they are, they're trying to trap Jesus. And this man with the messed up arm, he means nothing to the religious leaders. They couldn't care less about him as a person. He's simply a slice of cheese on a mousetrap. He's bait for Jesus. That's all he is. Now, this says a lot. They know how to bait Jesus, which tells us a lot about Jesus. They knew two things about him to set this trap. One, they knew he couldn't resist showing mercy and kindness to somebody. And two, they knew he had the power to heal. Now think about that. They know this about him. He has compassion and mercy and kindness like nobody we've ever seen. And he can do anything he wants to do. And they hated him. So give me a break with the, well, if he'll show me a sign, I'll believe. No, you won't. No, you won't. The human heart is so desperately wicked that you can follow Jesus around and see that he has kindness and compassion and mercy like no other. You can see his power on display and you'll still turn from him. You'll still reject him. So the trap is set. They've got Jesus where they want him. They've set this whole thing up. Jesus is standing right there beside this man. He's looking at these guys going, you don't get it. This man's worth more than a sheep. You, you, you would do good for a sheep on the Sabbath, but you won't do good for a person on the Sabbath. You see what he's just done though? They had him in the corner. He just flipped the script. Now he's got them in a corner. Now he's got the, the trap set for them. Let me explain. If they say, okay, yes, it's good to do good for people on the Sabbath, then Jesus is gonna heal the man and they gotta clap for him. That's good, right? 
Or they can say, no, we help sheep on the Sabbath. We don't help people on the Sabbath. Then they're revealed to be the heartless, evil, loveless bunch of people that they are. Jesus has them now between a rock and a hard place. They're stomped. They can't even say anything and the silence is deafening. Even as I'm telling you this story, my heart, I can feel my heart beating a little bit faster. I've been in some of those situations where it's a little tense and it's a little bit awkward, you know, and we all kind of get a little nervous in the middle of conflict and the silence is deafening and I can feel that here. And I'm sure the religious leaders can hear their heartbeat beating in their eardrums, right? You ever been at that place? That's all they could hear. Mark actually says that Jesus was grieved at the hardness of their hearts. It's amazing that as hateful and as evil as these people are, he still cared about them. He still wanted their hearts. He would have saved them and forgave them in that moment if they had cried out to him, but they hardened their hearts even more. So what's gonna happen? What is the Lord of the Sabbath gonna do in this moment? This, verse 13. And then he told the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was restored as good as the other. But the Pharisees went out, here it is. And they plotted against him how they might kill him. You know why they wanted to kill him? Because he is so good and they are so evil. And it's never been more clear than on this Sabbath day. It's never been so clear that Jesus loves people. And these religious folks, they only love themselves. I'd like to just sit with you for a few minutes today and let's just soak it up and marinate in the amazing love of God to just think on how deep his love for you is. How wide, how unconditional. His compassion, his kindness and mercy, it is like none other. But, but I wanna answer maybe a question that some of you have as we're walking through this today as best as I can. Maybe there's a few questions, but maybe the biggest question is this one. So are we supposed to keep the Sabbath and the answer to that is no, we don't have to. It's, it's not binding on us in the new covenant that we have with and that we have in Jesus. The New Testament nowhere commands Christians to keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath is Friday sundown to Saturday at sundown. In the New Testament, we find Christians worshiping together on Sunday. You know why? because Jesus rose on Sunday. They gathered to celebrate a risen savior on the first day of the week. There's actually not even a hint in the Old Testament that God expected Gentiles to keep the Sabbath. We have no evidence from Adam to Moses that people were keeping the Sabbath. We get to the New Testament in Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem council is trying to figure out, okay, how do we navigate Judaism and Christianity and what's happening right here in this moment. And they had an opportunity in Acts chapter 15 to impose Sabbath laws on the church. 
but they didn't do that. Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, he actually warns us a lot about different sins, but never does he warn us about breaking Sabbath laws. That never comes up in anything that he writes to the church. He actually rebuked the church at Galatia because they were imposing burdens on people about certain days that were more important to them than other days. Paul even teaches us in Romans 14 related to the Sabbath that, hey, listen, it's a matter of Christian liberty. If you want to keep it, keep it. If you don't want to keep it, don't keep it. Let your conscience guide you as to what to do. So here's the thing. While we're not mandated to keep the Sabbath, I think we would be awfully foolish not to pause and look at that and take away some principles from it that we need to apply to our lives. I would say one is this, you need to have a day in your week that is different from the other days. The Lord said, this is a day that's holy, it's set apart, it's different. You need a day that you rest more than you do on the other days, that you're looking to recalibrate your heart around Jesus more than the other days. For a lot of y'all, it's this day. I'm glad it is. This is not a day of rest for me. So, so like I got to Sabbath a little bit on Friday. I don't get to do that every Friday, but this past Friday, I got to do that a little bit. I didn't, I didn't have to leave my home. I just kind of did some different things there. I just kind of rested. I tried not to work, right? So I'd encourage you, you need to find a rhythm in your life that's consistent, six on, one off, working, not working, recalibrating, being refreshed, putting your eyes and heart on Jesus. Make that a priority. And on whatever day you set aside to rest from your labors, I would also say this, don't just look to rest. Don't just look to do nothing, but look for opportunities to meet needs of others. Look for opportunities to show mercy to other people. You say, why? Because that's how Jesus used his Sabbath. He didn't just crawl in a hammock for 12 hours. He met needs. He showed mercy. I think we would be wise to be looking for the same opportunities that Jesus looked for. Listen, taking a nap, I'm not a good napper. Some of y'all are. I'm, I got nap envy, all right? Taking a nap's a good thing to do on that day. But, but taking dinner to somebody's also a good thing to do on that day. Even better, maybe having somebody sit at your table for dinner is a good thing to do on that day. Now, here's why I'm telling you all of this. All this to say, the main reason that you and I, as followers of Jesus, aren't required to keep the Sabbath is because for you and me, the Sabbath is not a day. The Sabbath is not a square on the calendar. The Sabbath is a person. And his name is Jesus. If you know Jesus today as your savior, then you are living in your Sabbath rest. What I mean by that is you don't have to work or labor to earn righteousness. You don't have to work and strive to be good enough to be accepted by God. You don't have to work and expend energy to try to get God to love you or, or to earn the for forgiveness for your sin. Because of what Jesus did at the cross in your place and mine. 
Because as he hung there on the cross and said, Tetelestai, it is finished. In that moment, he didn't hand us a to-do list and go, all right, here's what you gotta do to get me. He handed us a to-done list. He said, it's done. It's finished. You don't have to work for this. I did. You just rest in it. You just walk in it. You just relish it and revel in it. This is a gift of God. You didn't earn it. You can't boast in it. It's, it's sheer grace. That's all it is. Mercy and love. He is our Sabbath rest. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter four, verse nine. And I love the book of Hebrews for this reason. Because the writer of Hebrews is going, temple was good, Jesus is better. Priests are good, Jesus is better. Sabbath is good, Jesus is better. Sacrifice of animals, good, Jesus is way better. So he gets to Hebrews chapter four, verse nine. He says, therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. But he's not talking about day of the week. He's not talking about a place on the calendar. He's talking about a person. He's talking about God's people. We get to rest now in the finished work of Jesus. The pressure's off. Do you hear how good that is? It's not trust Jesus and I'll give you a list. No, it's trust Jesus and I'll give you rest. The burden of the sin and the shame and the guilt and religious duty and some idea that I gotta fight and strive and earn it. No, no, that's gone. We're free. And whom the Son has set free is free indeed. He's talking about resting in the finished work of Jesus at the cross. We're not working to be accepted and forgiven. We're accepted by his grace. Ephesians 2, 8, you're saved by grace through faith. Then he says, verse 10, for the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works. I don't have to keep score anymore. I was with some friends last night and once we grew up together, high school friends, we were celebrating kind of our old youth pastor and his wife and it was a beautiful, fun thing. And somebody there, was, I was in a conversation with them and a couple of times they said, I just hope I'm gonna make it to heaven. I just hope I'm gonna make it to heaven. And I hear that a lot from people and some of you, you say that. And, and if that's what you're thinking here today, I'm telling you, man, what a massive burden you're carrying around today. That, that I hope I'm good enough. I hope I'm checking enough boxes. I, I, I hope today I can do more good things. I hope today I can avoid enough bad things to be right. You were under a burden. You were under a weight that Jesus died that you wouldn't have to be under. You can be free. You can know that you're saved, you're rescued, that that has been taken from you. There's rest in Jesus. Verse 10, Hebrews 4, verse 10, for the person who's entered his rest has rested from his own works. When Jesus said it's finished, so did I. I get to say with him it's finished. I don't have to work for this, I can't just as God rested from his. So here's the deal as we close. I hope and pray these verses out of Matthew today help you see how good Jesus is. I, I hope these verses out of Matthew today help you see a little more clearly what he means and how deeply he means it when he says, come to me. If you're weary, if you're heavy laden with burdens, you come to me and I'll give you rest. I hope it helps you see that I hope these verses have helped you see today that he delights in caring for you 
and helping you and meeting needs you have and showing you mercy. And I hope these verses have helped you see today that he wants you to be free. Not under the weight of a burden of sin or burden of shame or burden of guilt or burden of duty. But he wants you to be free in Jesus. And you can be free because Jesus has paid it all. Paid for every sin you've ever committed, you ever will commit. And he not only paid for every sin, but he paid for the righteousness of Jesus to be given to you. You never could have bought that. Neither could I. But he bought it with the shed blood of his own son at the cross. He finished the work for us there. And if you're here today and you're under that burden, sin burden, shame burden, I gotta do it burden because I'm hoping I'm good enough burden. You can dump that today and you can come to Jesus and you can find rest. And you can be forgiven and you can be free. So God, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, God, I'm asking today that you would remove burdens today from people. I know that's what you wanted to do on the side of that grain field that day. I know it broke your heart to see that religion had bound people up under these burdens so desperately, and yet they would not let them go. God, I pray that we would not do the same today. I pray we would let go and we would trust you today. That we would trust that what Jesus has done at the cross is enough. You don't add to it. You don't need a boost from us. It's grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just wanna ask you, are you free today? Only you and God know the answer to that. But are you free? You can be. You, you turn to Jesus today. You say, Jesus, I wanna be free. I wanna be forgiven. I wanna know that it's not up to me I wanna know it's because of you and everything you did for me. My soul needs rest. I never feel like I'm enough. I never feel like I'm good enough. I'm under this weight, I'm under this pressure. It feels obligatory, it feels dutiful. There's no joy in it, there's no peace in it. I don't feel hope in it. I feel despair, I feel condemnation, I feel guilt. God, would you change that today. You told me that if I'm under this burden, I can come to you and you'll give me rest. He will. He will. If you'll trust him today. If you'll turn from yourself, if you'll turn from your sin, if you'll turn from religion and you'll turn to a relationship with Jesus. He's ready for you. So Holy Spirit, would you work in our hearts? Those who need to be free, would you set them free through faith in Christ? Those who are free, remind us that we are and give us the grace to rest 
in that freedom and to rejoice in that freedom today. In Jesus' name. I wanna invite you to stand and we wanna sing, we wanna worship the Lord, we wanna respond to God's word. I'm gonna come right down here on the floor today. And if you're here today carrying a burden, you need to give it to Jesus, you need to trust Jesus to save you today, or you're like, I don't know, I need something, I don't even know what it is, I just gotta untangle it. Come on, let's just start having a conversation as we sing today. I'd be delighted, delighted to get to do that with you today. Come on, let's worship the Lord.